same energy. Please don't flip. 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 Keep that same energy. Please don't flip. So the transfer portal is open and active. Uh, signing day a few couple weeks away, December 21st. Trying to figure out who's going to end up in a JMU uniform, signed on the dotted line. Uh, who's committed? Who's going to stay committed? All that good stuff. Noah's been right on top of it. He's got a spreadsheet. He, he knows exactly what's happening. We'll start. We'll start with the high school recruits. JMU's got like 15 high school recruits committed. Will they continue to have that many by the time December 21st rolls around? I'm going to be the first to say I think they signed more than 15. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. going to say they signed more than 15. Okay. So, yes. They've got offers out on a few guys right now. So. Yeah. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, there's, there's one questionable person who yes. will he make it this signing day. That's Jarvis Green, you know, running back from Irmo, South Carolina, just outside of Columbia. You know, he basically was – tearing it up all season, playing half a season, setting records at Dutch Fork High School. And, you know, was kind of an underrated kid. Committed in August right before his football season started, and then he had a great senior year, and now a bunch of ACC and SEC schools are kind of jumping in late, and we'll see if he makes it uh, to signing day with JMU or or if it's going to come down to picking up a different hat. I don't know. Yeah, and um, even, I think, maybe more than, you know, a South Carolina or a Virginia Tech getting in on this kid um not surprising but maybe even raising a few more eyebrows was him posting a picture of himself uh with the app state coaches coming in to see him uh the other day i think you know if you're a jmu fan you can probably handle losing him to south carolina or clemson uh probably would not be happy if uh app state is able to sweep in here and uh and try to try to get him, which they seem to be really high on him right now. They went and watched his state championship game in home visit. Do you think there's any chance of that happening if you're a JMU fan? I, you know, I don't know because, like, they're very similar schools. You look at App State and JMU as a whole in, in similar locations, similar education, similar size. So a lot of mm-hmm. similarities between the two schools. And, you know, I don't know if they really have a shot at flipping him. I think, you know, he'll entertain basically anything. I mean, that's what he's – said i mean he'll entertain most things these days um you know high school recruiting is different now you you can be verbally committed but still entertain offers we've seen guys at other schools you know that are committed to, to big power five programs but then still want to take all five of their recruiting visits which you know you've got five officials you can take you may as well use it right yeah um so yeah i don't know i don't think that they really flip him i think he's more likely to get flipped by south carolina or clemson if either one offers maybe virginia tech i mean they're really interested too i don't you know, Virginia Tech, when you look at the grand scheme of things, isn't really a step up from JMU at the current moment, um, other than playing in a different league. But, yeah, I think, you know, they're more worried. I think he said it um, in a TV interview yesterday, basically, if Clemson comes calling, it's game over. Yeah, and I think this is kind of like a great illustration of the new world JMU is in, where at the FCS level, they were going to out-recruit all of their <laughs> conference rivals, and right now you're seeing that they're on, you know, fairly level terrain with, you know, their biggest rivals, you know, App States and Marshalls and teams are going to be coming after the same guys and they're going to be coming after the same guys right up until signing day. I mean, you can look at, uh, we were just talking about it before we started recording, Jeremiah Coney is somebody that 
uh, JMU and App State were in a heated recruiting battle for in the summer. I mean, the top and, five. And App State wins that one. Um, and now he's taken an official visit to um, to Virginia Tech after being committed for so long. And you kind of just kind of look at the trickle down. You know, you see him taking that visit. App State has to be a little bit worried about losing that guy. And now they're making a push to try to flip a JMU commit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're a JMU fan, you've always been well aware that that happens in college football. But maybe haven't experienced it quite this much leading up to signing day um, as they are right now this year. Yeah, I don't think they really you know, have seen this yet. I mean, they've got basically seems everyone else on the signing class, well, the rest of the 14 um, that are verbally committed seem like they're you know all in on JMU. Um, Jarvis was here on an official visit for the Coastal game, and I talked to him after that, and he said he enjoyed it and things like that, but we'll see what happens. I did see him on the sideline there. He was in a JMU, you know, windbreaker, so there's that. Yeah. Um, like he said, I mean, he's basically come right out and said if he gets a Clemson offer, he would take that. Um, is there any other schools that, in particular, you think he just can't turn down when it comes to weighing them versus JMU. Is South Carolina one of those? Is Virginia Tech one of those? I think South Carolina's one. I mean, being a guy from just outside Columbia, I think <laughs> I think that's that's one that it's hard to turn down, especially Shane Beamer with his Virginia ties. He already knows, you know, he can kind of recruit against JMU in a way, you know. He, he knows people at this university and, you know, knows the state of Virginia pretty well. Um, Virginia Tech's the only one that I think JMU would have a legitimate shot of peeing out right now. Yeah. Of those three. Yeah, and it, the other aspect of this is they're definitely interested. They're definitely talking to him. They're definitely keeping an eye on him, but they haven't made that offer yet. None of them. Those power five schools. And they again, I guess the big question is we're not that far away from December 21st. And he says he's going to sign on December 21st. If nothing changes. Yeah. Um, do you think an offer is going to come? When do you think an offer is going to come? If it does and just, you know, we're looking at the portal, and we'll talk a little bit more about just the portal in general here. But those schools are also looking at transfers, looking at transfer running backs. JMU's looking at transfer running backs and probably will look even harder at transfer running backs if they don't get Jarvis Green. Um, is this just a matter of he's got to wait and see what these other schools end up taking as far as, like, transfer running backs? I think that, and I think, you know, it's those schools come down to what's the portal look like and also what are their other verbals do, right you know mm-hmm. maybe some of them flip and then you have an open scholarship or maybe they're they're waiting on someone and they have an offer out right now to see what's going to happen so i think that is the case but jmu has, has got some offers out to some uh, college transfer portal guys but they do have a high school running back right now that has an offer that was on campus who i believe is the backup plan for jarvis green yeah it's a guy named camarian baldwin he's 5'9 210 uh, from north carolina he's he's a good back i mean he he ran for 5,600 yards in, in his high school career, 79 touchdowns. I mean, he's he's a good back. Um, I think that's kind of the backup plan if if Jarvis flips. Yeah. So before we just get into all the myriad transfer offers JMU's put out there here in the last uh, few days, give me your prediction. Where does Jarvis Green play college football next year? Currently? I'll give, you know, I'll give JMU a sixty percent chance of landing him, 
and I'll, I'll take the field on the other 40. But I, I'll, I'll say App doesn't get him. I'll, I'll go that way. So I'll give I'll give the P5 guys that 40%, uh, but I still think there's a decent shot Jamie lands him. Yeah. Okay, well, let's f- turn the attention to the transfer portal. Yeah. The – you know, JMU had obviously offered a lot of FCS guys and a lot of grad transfers who were available before December 5th. December 5th comes along, and then everybody else is able to get – that's the transfer period. It's kind of like free agency in uh, the NFL Correct. Uh, beginning that day. Um, I know you're keeping keeping close tabs <laughs> on that. You've got your chart. You, you know exactly – who that is you were adding to the chart even as we sat at a basketball game last <laughs> night um so take me through who, who are the names to really look out for we don't have to list every single one jamie's put an offer out to but who's who should we really be looking out for in the transfer portal that might end up in purple and gold next year yeah you know it's something they put a lot of receiver transfer portal out which is not a surprise they, they need receivers and you know they've got three i can look at my little sheet here uh, i've got one to, they've got three receivers currently on their freshman class incoming. But at some point, you need to have guys that are proven commodities the, at the FPS level or just in college football in general, really. Um, maybe these freshmen aren't ready yet for that. And so, you know, a guy that you look at is Melquan Stovall, who is going to come from Colorado State. He was on campus this past weekend um, with a bunch of guys that are already committed. Um, he's technically Colorado, trans- Colorado State transfer, but played three games there he came from nevada followed his head coach there didn't really work out after that so he's a guy that i think you know um is a pretty good shot a guy like daquan felton from north norfolk state we saw what he did against jmu there's really nothing else to say there and you look at some of the other receivers they're in on i mean landon parker is probably a guy from wofford who you know set a record there with 800 receiving yards this year so those are probably three guys and then you got elijah surratt who i think they've got a good shot at getting um a freshman from saint francis his brother being cheese yes. Surratt. so yeah yeah and um at least a couple of the guys you mentioned were on campus uh over the weekend uh, yeah Stovall and, and Parker were here this weekend yeah um you know it is kind of interesting you talk about like a Colorado State transfer where JMU obviously had a very su- great success with the Colorado State transfer this year yeah. with the uh, Todd Santeo quarterback but you've as much as these people have been on the move like throughout their careers now in this area of the transfer portal, it is kind of funny. Like you immediately think, Oh, Colorado state, like he, you know, probably close to Todd. Yeah. They never, they never played together. Like, no, uh, he you came see, in this year you see similar stuff like, John. you know, Oh, a South Florida guy enters the portal. And my first thought it was like, or an Arizona player or something. My first thought was, okay. Um, did he play with Jordan McLeod? Who's coming in to play for JMU? And I look it up and most of them didn't, but some of them did. <laughs> yeah. there, there, there are a few that have. Yeah. And so like, that's always, you know, something like you can't just look at the school. You gotta like, uh, <laughs> I, I've been on sports reference, uh, a lot where you can look at the easily, easily see somebody's career stats from schools and where they've been on the move from. So, uh, you know, that, that is like definitely an interesting dynamic is, you know, usually when somebody's transferring, you try to think, okay, what are the connections yep. and connecting the dots these days, even can get difficult. <laughs> um, but you, you mentioned, uh, the Sherat brothers, there's, there's a connection there. You, you mentioned, you know, some things and Jamie obviously has, uh, coaches and staffers and everything who have been to a lot of schools, um, which should open some doors for them as far as getting some impact players in a transfer portal, which is obviously the key there. You mentioned having having a good wide receiver class 
in the high school recruits. Yeah. But what you're looking for is guys who are going to start right away. Yeah, and you know, but maybe some of these high school guys can play some rotational snaps and get in and, and get some action. But I don't think. I mean, when you look at it, they're losing four of their top five. I think pass catchers coming out of the the year. Um, you know, Reggie Brown is the only one returning from those. So you got to find guys that are proven at the college level. I think that that's why the portal is so important. Um, but I do think, you know, maybe these high school kids come in and earn snaps. And, you know, that's kind of what you hope. But I don't think it turns them away. I think they know the business of college football knowing that. You know, you, you got to have some guys they can play now. Yeah, and when you talk about the recruiting pitch, Jamie's in a pretty good position just based on how this year went where you can go to those guys in the transfer portal and say, hey, look, this guy came here and excelled. This guy came here as a transfer and excelled. But you can also say to your high school recruits, Hey, look, yeah, we got guys in the portal, um, but look at our cornerbacks. We got guys in the portal, and we still wound up with um, true freshmen getting the snaps yep. in, in their situation. So if you come in and prove it, you're going to get every opportunity. And I think if you look at a guy like an Ibrahim Barry uh, as a freshman wide receiver coming in as a high school recruit, I think that's – Basically, what you got to tell him is, "Hey, you're going to have every chance, opportunity to play. Just because this guy's coming in as a transfer doesn't mean anything's guaranteed to anybody." Um, so, I think just the way that played out for Jamie this season probably makes the the recruiting pitch to all different kinds of players, you know, hold a little bit more weight. I think it does. Yeah, I know for sure. I think that's definitely some of it. And you know, you can also flip that and say to a transfer, you know. You look at what Todd Santeo was able to do this year as a transfer yeah. or Terrence Green was able to do as a transfer. So it goes both ways. They've had success going both ways, and so I think that helps recruiting-wise. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing if you're JMU, I mean, you're a lot of programs, is you just don't want to, like, go too heavy one way. You can look at, um, you know, Texas State <laughs> fa- famously had no high school recruits one year, and you know, now they're switching coaches. Um, yeah, you have no high school recruits, and you're in arguably one of the best states for your high school football. So I think that's where you messed up. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> there's that. There's, um, you know, you don't want to be just totally overloaded where an entire position group is guys who got on campus in July. Towson ran into that a couple of years ago, and you know, Cole Johnson going into that game against Towson in late November is like, yeah, all, all their their entire defense is um, is transfers, so they're still running base very basic uh schemes right now and we're going to take advantage of that and um that's something you don't want to run to either so a situation where you know maybe three of the four top wide receivers is probably about as heavy as you want to get in any one particular um position group and you're also working really hard to get those guys on campus in the spring (laughs) along with your new quarterback and get that get that going as early as possible yeah, I can confirm that your that Jordan McLeod will be on campus in June, in January. Mel, and Phoenix Pearls will also be, so there's two. But I would imagine any transfer that signs now will be here in January. Yeah, I would think so. It's um, a lot easier for them than the high school kids. Some of the high school kids, I'd imagine, will show up in January, maybe a few of them. Um, there's really no quarterback yet, so I don't think that will be the case. Normally you see the quarterback show up in January to learn the offense yeah. right away, but we'll see how many of the high school kids actually show up in, in, in spring. Yeah, and unless anything has uh, changed um, in the last few minutes this morning, as we record this on a on a Wednesday morning, um, we can talk a little bit about outgoing transfers from JMU. Almost shockingly, few we're talking about one. Well, technically two. Two. We got a backup long snapper and a running back who, in three years, has never seen the field. 
as it had to be like you know seventh or eighth on the depth chart there um are you surprised that now that we're basically more than two days into this transfer period we haven't seen a couple more guys put their names in um not really because one there's two two you can weigh this two ways there's a 45 day period between now and early January where you, like this the portals open for entry but once it closes in January you can still commit out of it you just can't go into it so I think some of these guys may be waiting to see what JMU does honestly what they do in the portal and then how many mm-hmm. guys they bring in their position group and then go from there there's obviously one that a lot of people have their eyes on that assumed would be hitting the portal and, and hasn't yet um, but we'll see what happens to that position throughout the portal season yeah I mean we don't even have to beat around the bush on that. Like, <laughs> you know I think a lot of people thought when Billy Atkins wasn't the number two quarterback at the end of the season, they're bringing in Jordan McLeod. Um, I think a lot of people probably assumed that he would probably look to transfer, and he wasn't one of the guys who immediately put his name in. Um, Jamie now has offers out to other quarterbacks, at least one other quarterback who I think, uh, you know, the Wake Forest quarterback, if he came in, would be competing for the starting job with McLeod, I would think at least, at least ostensibly, uh, in the spring. So I guess how, how surprised are you that we haven't seen that? And how many quarterbacks do you think Jamie's going to have scholarship quarterbacks think Jamie's going to have on the roster spring and fall? I mean, this may be, uh, you know, a product of moving to the FPS, having extra scholarship. Usually we've seen them carry three scholarship quarterbacks, but mm-hmm. they've got extra ones to work with. So the fourth doesn't, you know, play itself out of question yet. So there's a possibility that he stays around for spring ball and sees what happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a matter of JMU being opposed to having a fourth yeah. scholarship quarterback <laughs> as opposed to, like, does the fourth scholarship quarterback want to stick around and be fourth on the depth chart? Yeah, I think that might be a thing. of they. they I think they will grab another quarterback out of the portal. Um, they're, they've got to offer out to Brett Griffiths, who's a back, who is a backup at Wake Forest. Um, he's got four years of eligibility left. And then they're also pursuing the kid from Clemson, who was a backup reserve quarterback there. So I think if they get one of them, spring ball – We'll have a quarterback competition, not only for the starting job, but I think that whole depth chart will get shaken up. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they get one of those two guys, then I think it's like an actual it's a competition, competition as opposed to last year where it was kind of called a competition, but everybody knew that it was Todd Santeo's job to lose, Yeah, um, which he obviously did not. All right. Before we move on to basketball, there's been some exciting basketball op- action here recently. Anything else just on long recruiting transfer portal football stuff that you've been all over it, you've been <laughs> on top of it? Just tell me if there's anything else that we need to hit on before we move along. I think we hit most of it. You know, obviously defensive lines another spot where they're, they're yeah. going after the portal right now. Thomas Gore, a guy who forced a fumble against JMU, which turned into a scoop and score. He's got mm-hmm. an offer, and, you know, I know Signetti was pretty high on him going into the Georgia State game. Now he's in the portal. He might be a good get if they can land him. Yeah. Yeah, JMU – in some ways, could end up being a uh, Sunbelt FCS all-star <laughs> team like if they get some of the guys they're looking at in the portal, um, which would be interesting. But that could be a key a uh, recipe for success, just uh, if you get the best players from your, from your peers to come join you. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. So basketball. We were in Charlottesville last night. Both of us went over, watched uh, Jim U, I think – 
probably surprised some people by just how competitive they were against uh, UVA. UVA team that um, has been really tough this year, uh, worked their way all the way up to the number three ranking in the country, and that was not based on preseason expectations on them. They've beaten a lot of good teams. They played really well against you know Baylor, Illinois, Michigan. Um, were you surprised with what you saw out of JMU? You know, really having an opportunity to win that game in the final minute before um, UVA ended up making the plays to hold on. Yeah, I think I was because JMU was not shooting the ball well at all, you know, under 30% for almost the entire night. They got above it a little bit when they started getting back into the game. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, when, when, when your opponent's shooting close to 42%, I think it was, and, and you're shooting under 30, there's high likelihood you're not going to win the game. But JMU was in it. They were down by, I think, as many as eight or nine at one point. But other than that, they came back, made mm-hmm. it a two-point game late. Um, I think, you know, UVA's lack of free throw shooting helped in that case. But, you know, I was surprised that the way that they were playing, they still had an opportunity to win the game late. Yeah. I mean, if JMU – or if I've been uh, mixing up my JMU and UVA's all, all for the last uh, 24 hours or so. If UVA shoots free throws relatively well, that should have been, you know, maybe a two or three possession game in the last minute. Instead, Tok Molson's able to go in. He scores with, I think, exactly a minute left, maybe 101 on the clock to make it a 52-50 game. At that point, if JMU can get a stop, I think everybody's thinking about last year where, you know, Molson hit two shots down the stretch in a similar situation to lift JMU. Um, but they don't get to stop this year as opposed to last year. You know, freshman Ryan Dunn gets the basket for UVA, and they're able to pull it out. But, you know, like you said, Jamie shot 27% for the game. They, you know, it was one of those grinded-out games that you always see in Charlottesville. How did JMU manage to be in this one when they shot so poorly? UVA played, played you know, UVA-type defense. Is it – I mean, what do we take away from this – on the JMU side of things. That talk most sense a baller. I yeah. mean, I mean, they made seven field goals in the second half. He had five of them. So they went yeah. to him. He had the hot hand for them. 20 points, you know, and this is off a game where he came back from illness and only played five minutes and didn't do much against Eastern Kentucky. But they didn't need him to do, right? Or Eastern Kentucky? Yeah. Eastern Kentucky, yes. I get my Kentuckys mixed up between Eastern and Western because there's two yes. of those. But, yeah, I think, you know, we learned that he's good. Or, I mean, we knew he was good, but they, he, you know, put him against UVA and he keeps them in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and he's been their most consistent player, with the exception of like you said when he's you know recovering from the flu and plays five minutes or you know doesn't play at all in uh, one of those games down in Savannah because of the flu. But other than that, he has been the most consistent guy on the team as far as you know steady scoring, doing what he does. He's a good rebounder. He's strong taking it to the basket. Um, so you're not not surprising, and also a guy with high major experience, having been you know a, a rotational guy, a key player at Seton Hall when he was there. Um, you, you kind of expect that from him in these kinds of moments, and he's shown it against Virginia two years in a row, where he was you know arguably one of the best players on the court uh, against that team, but both games. Yeah, I think you know, and I think you know, Byington afterwards kind of talked about it. He goes, you know, he's not scared to go up against these big-name teams and, and play well. And I think he's shown that, um, you know, both times he's played UVA. He, he led them to a win last year over UVA, and he almost single-handedly led them to another one this this year. So. And he was also the one guy who played pretty well against 
um, North Carolina. He, he shot the ball better than, you know, any of his teammates yeah. in that game. And, yeah, like he said, he is um, he is a guy who's um, kind of made for that moment just with his experience that he's had playing at that level. Um, along those lines, something I found kind of interesting that Mark said, Mark Byington said after the game was – you know, he just came out and said, like, I hope this isn't the last time we play against a team of this caliber this year that we get another chance, which is really the first time, you know, he didn't come right out and say NCAA tournament. But, but when you like, look at the schedule, yeah, there's no but, team of I this mean, caliber that's left. That's really the first time in three years since he's been here where he's, in one way or another, has basically said, like, we need to get to the NCAA tournament. We should get to the NCAA tournament. That's what we have to do. I mean, as a guy who was turning around a program, even when they were kind of winning the regular season championship in a strange COVID year, um, even last year when they started nine and two, he kind of shied away from any talk of like that being like the make or break thing yeah. for the team. And I thought it was interesting that he kind of put that out there on his own, that he thinks that's what this team should be shooting for right now. Yeah. I mean, I think this team is what ninth overall in the country and like, you know, experienced minutes or something like that i think you know played uva who leads the country in that stat um mm-hmm. so obviously that that helps you but i think they look at the sunbelt as being a winnable conference obviously it's not gonna be a multi-bid league you gotta win the conference to, to get in and i think since they've played decently well in both games against the top five teams in the country that they've seen obviously north carolina not number one anymore but they were at the time i think that gives them some confidence heading into sunbelt play knowing that if you can play this well against uva who's arguably probably top team in the country right now maybe they're gonna be number two behind houston um but they play houston next next time around but yeah i think you know if you play this well against them there's when you play league teams who are not that good or they're good not as good as uva i think that gives you confidence going in saying you know if they can hang with uva they can beat anybody yeah and you know the other interesting aspect of it is that they played you know when when you shoot 27 percent you um you lose it's almost weird to be talking about how you played so well when you scored 50 points but to be as competitive i guess as they were playing a style that's not the way they've played all season long they've been getting up and down the court they were scoring 90 points a game going into that one and uva makes them play their style of game and they're still competitive in that like i think that's like a real positive i guess just you know, a good sign for going into conference play where teams are going to try to do different things to you. You know, Marshall's going to want to run with you, but ODU <laughs> kind of likes to slow down. Uh, you're going to see different things in conference play. I think that they've shown the ability to play a couple different ways. Probably bodes well for getting into Sunbelt play sooner rather than later here. I mean, they only have a couple more games before they're really getting into conference play. Yeah, I mean, they're in conference play, what, end of the month? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and you know they got a break for exams in between then, so so it won't be long before we really get to see see some Sun Belt action around Harrisonburg. Fun Belt action, yes, Fun Belt. I think, and I think on the basketball side, it's going to be the Fun Belt. If you look around, like Southern Miss, hey, uh, I'm impressed by them. There's, I think, four Sun Belt teams in the top 100 of the net right now, and net's always iffy, an ever changing thing. Yeah, it's, it's it's always kind of like a little bit iffy when you're. Um, talking this early in the season but they're also much improved over last year in Ken Palm especially at the top of the league um you know ESPN's BPI things like that 
it looks like a better Sun Belt than it has been in the last couple of years. And um, JMU is definitely one factor in that. Yeah, I think that bodes well for what conference play is going to look like as a whole, and it makes some exciting basketball for the yeah. next few months. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you're just a if you're a JMU fan right now, you may be a little bit snake bitten, remembering last year that got off to a similar start uh, and then collapsed. But I think probably the biggest difference is they're already seeing some of that bad luck. They're already seeing the injuries and illness and they're riding through it right now. And they should get better and stronger as the year goes along, as opposed to last year, (laughs) just kind of losing guys one by one and having, you know, COVID go through the team in the middle of the season and things like that. Do you think that they are capable of keeping this up for the rest of the season? Yes. Not only is, you know, their depth of factor in that, but they obviously now this year, unlike last year, they have something to play for at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Cause by the end of the year last year, they're like, well, can't play in a tournament. So what's, what's the deal? Yeah. So this time around, I think, you know, even if they fall into the trap again of, you know, injuries or sickness again, later in the year, they at least have the goal of the Sunbelt tournament still being at the end of the road and knowing that if they win that they're punching their ticket to the dance. So I think that is the biggest difference between the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, any other just overall impressions where you got you got your first real look at them against a good team? I know you <laughs> and you know you you've been to some other games, but uh, games that were massive blowouts. This wasn't Valley Forge. This wasn't Valley Forge. This wasn't Hampton. You know, turns out there are better teams in the state of Virginia than Hampton. Who knew? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, just your overall impression. You know, so I, I asked you for predictions when it came to uh, football recruiting. Give me a prediction. Where do they finish in the Sun Belt regular season? Top two. Top two. You can pick which one you want there. Okay. <laughs> Top two regular season, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter once you hit the tournament. So yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, well, we covered a lot. We didn't talk about as many sports as we do sometimes, but we got really in depth into into the big ones. Um, with football and basketball and because it is that time of year where football season's over but it never really ends <laughs> and basketball season's just heating up and we'll be back again next week to talk probably more about both of those things maybe mix some women's basketball into the conversation uh, but for today I'm Shane Metlin I've been here with Noah Fleischman as always you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record and thanks for tuning in